This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate a few minutes of your time this morning. Lots to get to coming up at 9.30. Dan Zampano will join us to talk about this week's NFL playoff games. Uh, See what he's got to say and uh, some tough calls this week. There's some very, very interesting games this week, so I'll be anxious to hear what he's got to say about that. We have a couple of signings in the NFL, um, new head coaches heading their way uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York Jets. Uh, We'll talk about that coming up in a minute. Uh, I want to start this morning with some news here out of the state of Connecticut. They're actually going to try to have a winter season. Finally, the CIAC and the Department of Public Health came out with guidelines yesterday that said we will have a – boys and girls basketball season, as well as ice hockey and gymnastics and boys swimming. So that's what we will have this winter. Practices begin uh, on the 19th, which I believe would be, what, uh, Tuesday? And then games can begin on February the 8th. There will be no state tournaments this year. They did that so that they can extend the regular season. Each team is going to be able to play 12 games. And then the conferences can have regular conference tournaments as they always do, but there'll be no state tournaments. So you can have a conference championship this year, but no state championship. Um, Look, considering that they lost out on the state championships last year, it didn't look like they were going to have a season at all this year. Uh, Something is better than nothing. That's At least that's the way I look at it. Um, so we will see how that goes. There will be no spring football. There had been talk about an alternative football season in the spring. The department of public health rules football as a high risk sport. So they will not be able to play this spring or this winter. Um, so, and, and Glenn Longarini, the head of the CIC said, look, you know, we, even if we looked at to moving it farther into the spring, we couldn't do that because then we couldn't bring them back for the fall season the following year. There wouldn't be enough time, you know, off in between. So the uh, football is off. So anybody that thought there'd be a spring football season is going to be disappointed. But I think uh, at this point we'll take what we can get. And as uh, we heard from one of our listeners yesterday in Florida, they played 13 games already down there. You know, they, they're not uh, they're not as concerned <laughs> down south as uh, or as cautious, I guess, as we are here up in the north. Uh, Massachusetts has shut down, uh, sports in a lot of cases, but, uh, at least Connecticut, we're going to give it a shot. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, hockey last night, the uh, NHL began on Wednesday. The Bruins played their first game last night and, uh, the Bruins win their first game. They win it in a shootout, uh, three to two. Great to see Brad Marchand last night with a goal and an assist. And, uh, he ends up with the game winner. And uh, Tuka Rask, 20 saves last night for the Bruins. You have got to be thrilled uh, if you are the Bruins. A great way to start the season. And, you know, the defense played well last night. This is a retooled Bruin defense. You know, no uh, Zidane Chara. Uh, Tori Krug is gone. Really not sure what to expect out of this defensive unit. And they got a, 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 a good effort last night. Rask was great as usual. But they only allowed 20 shots last night. So I think if you're the Bruins, you have to be happy about that. By the way, the, the goal that Marshawn scored in the shootout, it was the only goal of the shootout. Um, the previous tries by both teams had all been misses. So uh, uh, Marshawn gets it done, and uh, the Bruins start off on a high note. Uh, the Celtics are actually going to play tonight, at least as of right now. The Celtics haven't played in a week. They had three games canceled because of uh, the coronavirus. 
but they are going to play tonight, uh, they hope. <laughs> now, they will not have Jason Tatum tonight because he is still part of the uh, – under the uh, uh, the quarantine rules for the uh, the NBA uh, after he had uh, contact tracing with somebody. Or actually, I think he tested positive, so he is still out. Uh, but they will have everybody else back. That will be without three players, but their main stars will be there with the exception of Jason Tatum as they take on the Orlando Magic tonight. Uh, the game that was scheduled for tomorrow between Indiana and Phoenix has been called off. That's the ninth game this week that's been called off by the NBA. And as I said, you know, yesterday, and this is where, you know, it's great that we're going to try to play high school basketball in the state of Connecticut, but this is where, you know, nine games in the NBA called off in a week. If you are, you know, an athletic director here in the state of Connecticut, you are a little bit nervous about that, and rightly so. So we shall see how it goes. But hopefully the Bruins, I mean, excuse me, the Celtics will be able to play tonight. Um, I want to shift to baseball. A couple couple of uh, potential signings coming down this morning. It's been reported just about 15 minutes ago by John Paul Morosi that the Yankees are very close to agreeing to a new contract with D.J. LeMahieu. Um of course, we heard a couple of days ago that LeMahieu was frustrated by the pace and that uh, he had instructed his agent to talk to other teams and that the Red Sox even had reached out to his agent. You knew as soon as that happened that the Yankees were going to have to, you know, get going. That was LeMahieu's way of telling the Yankees, hey, look, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit around here and wait all day. And so he forced the Yankees hand here and it sounds like they are very close to a contract agreement other news out of New York uh, according to Ken Rosenthal again about just about 15 minutes ago the Mets are closing in on a deal for outstanding reliever Brad Hand uh, a two-year deal uh, now John Heyman of the Major League Baseball Network uh, refuted that just a couple of minutes ago and said that, yes, that the Mets are talking to him, but that supposedly a deal is not close and that there are three other teams involved in negotiations with Hans Camp. Um, so may not be a done deal yet, but it sounds like the Mets are continuing to be aggressive uh, with their new ownership group or their new owner in Steve Cohen, and it sounds like the Mets – are making a serious, serious run. You know, remember a couple of years ago, they made that move with the Seattle Mariners to get Edwin Diaz, guy who had been an unbelievable closer for an entire year, came to New York and has been a bust. Well, I'll tell you what, Brad Hand uh, has was the uh, has been one of the best relievers in baseball over the last three or four years, and that would be a great, great signing for the Mets. If you're a Met fan, uh, you've got to be thrilled. Uh, by this. And the Mets also reached agreement with uh, Dominic Smith uh, for a, a contract for $2.5 million to avoid arbitration. Uh, the Red Sox are going to have an arbitration hearing coming up. Uh, today is the deadline uh, for the Red Sox and Raphael Devers to either come up with a contract extension or, a, or exchange arbitration numbers. Uh, Devers is 24 years old. Look, he had a, by his standards, a down year last year at the plate. He also made a Major League Baseball high 14 errors in 60 games. Um, you know, I get it, but this kid is a special talent. Uh, I think he was a little bit out of shape last year, but he's going to have his guy back this year. He thrived when Alex Cora was there. Alex Cora found a way to bring out the best in Raphael Devers, and I expect a monster year out of this kid. If I'm the Red Sox, I'm going to try to find a way to lock this kid up for a number of years. Look, we've heard that the Padres are trying to do that with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, They're talking about a 10-year contract extension with Tatis to keep him in a Padre uniform for a long time. If I'm the Red Sox, I don't know if I'm going to go 10 years, but if I'm the Red Sox, I'm looking to try to come up with something, you know, and maybe pay him a little bit more now to get him 
locked in for a longer time. He is scheduled to become a free agent after the 2023 season. So you have three more years, I believe, before he becomes free agent eligible. Or is it two more years? It might be. He may become. I don't know if it's after 2023 or at uh, or after 2022. I'll have to or for the 2023 season. I'll have to look at that. But regardless, if I'm the Red Sox, I want to lock this kid up. Absolutely. Uh, he's projected to make if it goes to arbitration, he is expected to make about six and a half million dollars this year. You know, and you know, I get it. He's you know he is a bit of a liability right now. At third base, you know, the thing about Devers that's funny is that he can make some unbelievable plays and then struggles sometimes to make routine plays, you know, and that's, you know, if you're if if you watch the Red Sox, you're a little bit concerned about that. And I just checked it's after 2023, so he can't become a free agent until 2024. So if you can say, look, you've got three more years, you know, before you're free agent eligible. How about this? How about if we make it six and we'll give you more money now and, and, you know, kind of buy out those arbitration years and, uh, you know, see if you can lock them up. That's what I would do. So we'll see. But today is the deadline for that to happen. Um, the other, the other thing was, there was a story this morning in the Boston globe and it was uh, Chad Finn did it. And it was a case for the Red Sox not to trade Andrew Benintendi. He has been in, of course, in all kinds of trade rumors. And uh, a lot of people think that uh, because of how he underperformed in 2019 and how bad he was last year before he got hurt, that the Red Sox should just trade him. And Chad Finn makes a case, and it's he's not wrong, in that the Red Sox should consider hanging on to this kid because unless you are going to get somebody who is a proven arm, you know, somebody that that you can get that you can plug into that rotation right now, then you're not going to get much for this kid. You know, what are you going to get? You're going to get a, a couple of prospects. And prospects are just that, prospects. But Benintendi is a guy who, look, in 2018, he was a huge part of that team. Yes, he underperformed in 2019. I get it. But he still, even in a in a down year, you know, he still was league average. And last year, he was terrible. I get it. You know, but last year, you just... You forget about it. you. You just wiped that out. It was a, it was a fluke. And but Chad Finn points this out. It's fourteen games, right? That he played before he got hurt. Think about this. Jim Rice in nineteen seventy eight was the MVP. In a thirteen game stretch from the end of May to the middle of June, he hit one eighty nine. He won the MVP that year. So let's remember again. 14 games for Benintendi last year. 1967, Carl Yastrzemski. Perhaps one of the best seasons that any baseball player has ever had. In a seven-game span, hit 120 that year. Of course, after that, he hit 422 in the final 25 games of the season. But my point here, and Chad's point here, is is that, look, everybody, anybody can look bad for two weeks. Anybody. There are Hall of Famers that had two-week stretches that were probably worse than what Andrew Benintendi had last year. So I don't think we should put an awful lot of stock into what happened with him last year. You can be a little bit more concerned about 2019 if you want to, but this is a kid in 2017 and 2018, you know, a cup of coffee in 2017, but in 2018, his first full season, he was ridiculous. And drove in 90 runs. Hit, what, 20 home runs? Hit 271. Plays a great outfield. He still is a good outfielder, regardless of what you want to say about what he's done at the plate. This kid can play the outfield. You know, the, he's a kid. Look, they don't have a center fielder right now. Now, there's talk that they're going to move Alex Verdugo to center field. They could just as easily move Andrew Benintendi to center field. 
He can play center. Absolutely. So, you know, again, unless you're going to get a piece, Chad Finn says hang on to him. I can't argue with that. I also can't argue if you can get a good enough prospect. And by a good enough prospect, I don't mean – and the Miami Marlins have been rumored to be one of the teams that's real hot on him. If you can get somebody from the Marlins that's one of their top two or three prospects for him, do it in a heartbeat. But if what you're telling me is you're going to get uh, their 20th best prospect or their 10th best prospect, that's <laughs> Andrew Benatendi is better than that. So unless you're going to really you know, blow the roof off in this trade, I think Chad Finn makes a very, very good point. Hang on to him. Um. Last couple of minutes before we take get a break, and Dan Zampano coming up here at 9.30. I want to talk a little bit about the decision that Major League Baseball just made to hire Theo Epstein as, an, uh, as a consultant for, quote, on-field matters. Of course, Epstein, who, was, who built championship teams in Boston and Chicago, a guy who is going to the Hall of Fame, if he, never plays, if he never spends another day in organized baseball, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. But Theo Epstein going to the Major League Baseball front office is a great move here. Why? Because Rob Manfred's an idiot. You know, and I've heard, you know, like, people that I respect have said that they think that the whole Rob Manfred's an idiot thing is overblown. I don't. Rob Manfred does not, looks at baseball as someone who doesn't even understand the game of baseball. He looks at it almost as an outsider. A lot of the decisions that he has made. Um, he looks at it as, and, and I get it's a business. Okay. I get it's a business, but it's also, you can't. You know, what he's done to the minor leagues, some of the rule changes that he has made. These are changes made by someone who doesn't truly understand the fabric of baseball. Theo Epstein does, but Theo Epstein, and, and I give Theo a lot of credit for this, Theo made a point of acknowledging that what he did, in, with the help of others, but what they did in building that Red Sox team that broke the curse and uh, brought in a, a new era of baseball in Boston, what they did is part of the problem with baseball today. He takes responsibility for the game changing, for the eggheads taking over the game, um, you know, for the high strikeout rate now. You know, everybody that wants to hit a home run, launch angle, exit velocity, he acknowledges that he played a role in that. And he acknowledges that there needs to be some changes made. You know, he said he wants to work with the analytics people to look at the rule changes and determine what the effects are going to be. He wants to look at the... Like, for instance, the potential to eliminate shifts. You know, is that really going to make hitters be forced to uh, approach the game differently? You know, he acknowledges that part of the problem with what happened in Game 6 of the World Series, that, you know, Blake Snell being yanked out of a game when he was pitching his ass off, that... Analytics is part of the problem here. You know, Pete Abraham talked about it this morning uh, in the Boston Globe. He said it might be the greatest job Theo Epstein ever did might be helping fix the game of baseball. And and if anybody can do it, I trust that Theo Epstein, he, look, he's a smart dude. He's smarter than three of us combined. Uh, speaks three languages. He is just, you know, he's a lot smarter than I am. And the, but the, the the point that Pete made this morning is says you know what home runs are, are they're fun you know they're fun but you know what triples are better <laughs> you know how about you know uh, you know we look at uh, uh, changing things so that 
the game, there isn't so much time between pitches. You know, maybe a pitch clock is the right way to go. I saw a thing this morning during the pandemic, and, and you know, since there hasn't been any baseball, any real baseball, that somebody spent time watching the old games from the 1975 World Series between the Red Sox and the Cincinnati Reds. And they clocked how much time there was between pitches. It was usually about 10 seconds. Think about that. 10 seconds from the time the, the catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher to the time the next pitch is thrown. 10 seconds. Think about that. Last year, we had games that, you know, the average time last year was three hours and five minutes. Remember when Roger Clemens struck out 20 guys in a game? You know, and you would think that's going to take forever, right? A lot of pitches have to be thrown. It takes more pitches to strike somebody out than it does to, to get a ground out to short. Roger Clemens, when he struck out 20 batters in a game, he did it in two hours and 39 minutes. Think about that. You know, so that's part of the problem. And Theo Epstein acknowledges that the game needs more action. You know, there has to be a way, Epstein said, that that players can showcase their athletic ability more and there can be more opportunities for great plays instead of us just standing around waiting for somebody to either strike out or hit the ball out of the ballpark. So I think this is great. I I can't wait. I can't wait. And if Major League Baseball is serious about this, they'll get out of his way and they'll let him implement some changes and, and Rob Manfred will actually listen. And if he won't listen to Theo Epstein, I don't know who the hell he'll listen to. Because I guarantee you, you know, and, and he's got some good people working in the front office. All right, don't get me wrong, but I guarantee you, Theo Epstein's smarter than anybody else he's got working in that front office at Major League Baseball. So I hope he just gets out of the way and listens to Theo. And just as many of us in Boston have done when he was with the Red Sox, in Theo we trust, and let's hope that Rob Manfred has the same attitude. 29 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano will join us to talk NFL football. You're listening to the sports. Wow, I just had a stroke. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. And as we are every Friday morning, we are pleased to be joined by Dan Zampano. Dan, I know everybody wants to talk about the big matchup coming up this weekend between Moses and Methuselah down in New Orleans, uh, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I want to start off, though, talking about the new uh, hires for head coaches in the NFL, and let's start with this one, the one that I think has the most uh, opportunity for uh, fun. That would be Urban Meyer being hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars. How does a guy who never lost more than five games in a season in his college football coaching career, how is he going to adapt uh, to an NFL where if you, you lose six, you're probably making the playoffs? Well, I think that a lot of people are going to make the comparisons to Nick Saban. Uh, that's, you know, kind of obvious because of Nick's, you know, failure at Miami. Uh, Urban's going back to Jacksonville and, and, you know, it's near Gainesville. So obviously it makes a lot of sense for him. He's been down there. He knows the area. I think, um, I think this is interesting just because he has been successful literally at every single college stop that he's made. Now the issue with urban as well, and there's some negatives is that as good of a culture builder and, you know, a team developer as he has been, I also see a lot of negatives in terms of the type of players that he's had. Right. Um, there's, there's no question about that. And the idea that are grown men going to listen to urban Meyer, right? That's a great question. Um, I think the difference between Jacksonville, I mean, he really has the ability to mold this thing. However he wants though, he can build it and make it his baby. The reason being a, he's going to have Trevor Lawrence. No question. B, he's going to have $75 million in cap space. You know, be able to, to work to work with 
you know, everybody. I mean, Jackson, Jacksonville can get pretty good pretty quick, and they have a ton of draft picks. I mean, there's no better situation, I think, for a coach. The thing is, again, like we said, how long is Urban Meyer going to stay around before he says, I've got a heart condition, I need to right. take a break, Yeah, well, I am too stressed out. You know, like, that, that that's the whole moniker with him and the negative side of him, and I'm not trying to be negative towards Urban, but he has that, he has that reputation. So I, I think it could work. I think it's more likely than not that Urban Meyer probably has it improves the Jaguars, but not enough for him to stick around as long as maybe people might be. Well, here's the, the positive side of this if you're a Jaguar fan. Uh, since 2012, they are a hundred. They have 39 and 105. So you look at it that way. <laughs> there's nowhere to go uh, but up. Yep. You know. So uh, you look at it that way. But you know, and you made a good point that they could get pretty good in a hurry. They're kind of in a position where Miami was in the draft, in that they have five picks in the top 65 of this upcoming draft. So they've got an opportunity to get some difference makers in a hurry. Oh, no doubt. And, and, and certainly guys from Ohio state and, and Alabama and, and, and really make a lot of strides. They have the Rams picks. They have a ton of uh, ability to get good. There's no question about it. Once they get good or once they improve, where do we go from there? That's right. what I want to know is, is Lawrence going to be able to, develop that quickly uh you know most people say yes i don't know uh a lot of people like to pretend that they know like oh yeah Urban yeah. Meyer is gonna be trained right or meyer is gonna be great it's like shut up <laughs> you don't know you really have no idea you have no idea what's gonna happen in the future i'm sure plenty of people had this grand illusion that matt patricia was going to be a genius right. in detroit and look where we are now i mean yeah it's such a crapshoot with some of these coaches but I do appreciate Urban for his culture building. Yeah, but again, I, and I agree with that, but there, you know, can that work in the NFL? You know, it's a lot easier to build culture and to build that rah-rah thing in college. You know, once these guys are out and they're no, it's not, no longer about the college experience, it's about the millions of dollars I'm making, I don't know mm-hmm. how well that plays in the NFL. That's what would concern me as far as that goes. And that's why, off air, I said to you, I think this could be an absolute disaster because of the way he builds his culture was there was there was a level of intimidation, but there was a level of, you know, uh, kind of you have to drink the Kool-Aid thing. And I'm not sure yeah. how, how well that's going to play in the NFL. He turned a blind eye to a lot of stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, he did. Did he ever. Yeah. All right. Uh, Now, a a coaching signing that I absolutely love. Uh, The New York Jets, uh, Robert Saleh, the defensive coordinator from the San Francisco 49ers, gets hired by the Jets. I think this was a very, very good move. Look, he has built a great defense in San Francisco. Hell, they were still one of the five best defenses in the league this year, despite the fact that they didn't have Nick Bosa, and they still excelled this year. So I think for the Jets, I mean, the quarterback situation aside, this is a guy that's going to at least make sure that 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 defense is going to be really, really good. There's no question. Yeah, the defense is going to be really, really, really good. I think that Robert Salah clearly knows what he's doing um, on that side of the ball. Um, he's going to bring over Michael Floor. So that's a, 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 a very, very prominent guy in Kyle Shanahan's offense that he relied on a lot. So he'll come over to coach the offense. Uh, I think that makes me feel better about this hire that they're bringing over guys that have had a lot of success and were uh, important uh, with Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you know, the thing about Bob Salah is that I think he, he is more of the rah-rah type guy and the player's coach uh, that I think about in the NFL, just how intense he can get, you know, on the sideline. And you got to remember, he also coached a very specific style of defense. Like, they were a heavy zone defense that, uh, had a lot of like young, talented, and also some veterans like Richard Sherman and guys like that in that back end. So, so it's it's certainly it's certainly obviously on on the surface of it. I think it's a great hire. 
I think that Robert Salah will have to rely on Joe Douglas, though, to help him build that team and get the right players in here. Because, look, the Jets are going to be clearly good on defense. They have so many pieces. They were good on defense uh, at times this year. You know, they had there were statistics that had the Jets in, in really good spots in terms of rush defense. And, and I think, obviously, they're going to improve that. What do they do on the other side of the ball? How do they handle Sam Darnold? How do they handle the New York media? Like, I, that, those are the things that I want to know. You know, I, 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 I wonder, and it, it leaves me wondering, obviously, that that Robert Salat and how he's going to handle this market. Because the, at, at the end of the day, this is the New York Jets. Right. <laughs> this is, this, what will go wrong, what could go wrong, will go wrong. I mean, it, it literally has been that way for, for decades. I want to know how he handles it and how if he can change it from the inside out. Well, We're going to have the owner come, the owner coming back, and Woody Johnson will be back now uh, after being an ambassador to the UK. So you know, will there be you know a difference in how they run things that they have the past couple of years? I'm sure Joe Douglas and him. It, 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 this is the bottom. This is it for the Jets. So. If they can't get this right, they're gonna have to <laughs> restart again. Well, you know, if, from the from the uh, the other part of this too is, it, and I hadn't realized this, and, and I'm wondering if if the Jets are actually going about this the wrong way. And it, this isn't anything about this particular hire, but this is the seventh straight coach that they've hired that does not have previous head coaching experience. Think about that: seven in a row, mm-hmm. and the last one they hired that had head coaching experience was Bill Parcells in 1997. Everybody since then has never been a head coach. So I'm wondering if because it's New York, if maybe the Jets are looking at this the wrong way, and maybe the guy they should have been targeting was when Doug Peterson got fired from Philadelphia, maybe they should have gotten maybe they should have looked at somebody and I'm not saying Doug Peterson, but I'm just saying somebody that had previous head coaching experience because they are would be more prepared to come in and handle the zoo that is the New York media. That may be true. Um Rex Ryan didn't have coaching experience. He didn't have all had coaching experience right. either. That's so right. I mean I, right. that, but so so I mean, and he was successful here. I think because of his personality. I think right. yeah, he, yeah. he he was again a players a players coach, right. kind of like Bob Salat. Now he Bob Salat is not the outlandish guy that, no. that Rex Ryan is, but nobody but, is. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> nobody is. Nobody's going to put their foot in their mouth like Rex Ryan. Trust me, uh, but. Um, I think that Bob Sala is is a really good coach. I, again, it's it's more than just X's and O's, and you know having the players love you. It, it's about building a team as well. So when it comes to hiring, this is his shot. And again, what could go wrong will go wrong. So I am very. Everybody's going to be watching Bob Sala very closely, and I'm intrigued, but I, I, I'm not so. Oh, this is a great hire! Like you know, let's let's see what how he does because <laughs> yes. it's more than just coaching. Yeah, you know, it's great. This is why I have you on because you know, off the air, I'm saying that Meyer's a train wreck. You're like, yeah, well, he might be all right, and I'm like, you know, the the Jets hiring was a great one, and you're like, yeah, maybe not so much. So that's why I have you on because you know, we, there you go. You, well, and you know what? You're, there's a better chance that you're right about this than I am. So uh, we'll. <laughs> that's why you're here when right. when. When you see when you see people all over the league saying what a great hire, what a great hire, and not one person is critical, that makes me skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good point. Uh, all right, let's get to this week's games, and we're doing it a little bit differently this week. I'm going to bring up the games, and then we'll talk about last week's uh, stuff as well. Uh, and instead of just doing all the picks at the end, so let's start off with the game number one, and that would be the Rams at Green Bay. Of all the games this week, if there was one game and you told me I had to bet my house on the outcome of this game, I would bet my house and my children that Green Bay beats the Rams this week. Um, so mm. now Green Bay had the off week. You look at what the Rams did last week. Look, they they ended up going having to go to Jared Goff because of the injury. Goff obviously was not right, you know, and you can make a case whether Goff is ever right. But having said that, you could tell that he was off, that he he didn't wasn't able to grip the football right. And uh, so he's going to start this week. And do you expect that, that he's going to, that thumb is going to be that much better in six days to be able to be uh, any more effective this week than he was last? 
<sighs> this is such. This is the question because this this kind of factors in the whole game. How good does golf have to be? It's right. like every week when we talk about the Rams, it's like, well, which golf are we going to get this week? You know, it's just that's it's it's just kind of like up in the air, and that's a, a problem that Sean McVay is going to have to deal with in the off season. But uh, you know, to me, with this game, look, golf wasn't spectacular in that game. But he did what he had to do right. to be able to win it. And, and they put up 30 points on that Seattle defense. That Seattle defense had been playing really, really well. Like, they, they really had been. And they kind of did whatever they wanted, yep. to be quite honest with you. So uh, I'll be interested to see this. The thing about Green Bay, Green Bay has been nasty against the run the right. last three, four weeks. I mean, they have shut it down. And Cam Akers is going to be in there. How are the Rams going to do? I mean, that's a huge thing. This is such a good matchup, and I'll tell you why. Because Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay run literally the same exact offense. The one difference in their offense is they got 12 and the Rams don't. Oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that's the difference. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it just is as simple as that. But I would say this. The Rams can have success on offense. I'm more interested in how they do on defense. I think that the defense is going to be the be-all and end-all. The Rams have any chance to win this game because guess what? This is the number one rated defense going up against the MVP. Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams all day is going to be an absolute firecracker matchup. They've only met one time, and in that meeting, it was the first game of Ramsey's career back in 2016. Ramsey held Adams to one catch for five yards. Right. So and now and now he's an all pro. If you look at the games in which the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have gone up against an all pro corner, they've done this seven times. The Packers are one in six in those games. Wow. I just find that very, very fascinating. However, I don't know if that kind of matters this week because of the guy playing on the other side. I just don't know if Goff can can will them to a victory and score enough points. It's going to be, have to be a heck of a coaching performance from McVay. The Packers are going to have to fall apart on defense, which very well could happen. I mean, there's no question. I mean, the Packers aren't invincible. But this game is going to probably have snow involved in this game as well and below freezing temperatures. Awesome. In those games, in those games, below freezing temperatures since 2016, which is the year Jared Goff came into the league. Jared Goff is one and one in those games. He has zero touchdowns and he has five interceptions. Ouch. Aaron Aaron Rodgers is ten and zero since 2016. Twenty six touchdowns, one interception. Yeah. Okay. They, that, case in point. My house. Case, is, case in point. Yeah, my house is safe. <laughs> That's what you're telling me. Case in, case in point. I just don't know. I don't know if the if the Rams. Yeah, I think the Packers will win. I don't know how close this game will be. But I think the Packers move on. It's very hard to beat a one seed uh, in this day and age in the NFL. All right, next game. Uh, let's talk about last week first. Uh, the, yes. Buff- the Buffalo Bills beat Indianapolis last week, twenty-seven to twenty-four. And if it weren't for Frank Reich, Indianapolis might have won this game. Frank Reich might, might, might have coached them out of a victory here. He made some uh, a couple of questionable decisions in this game, eschewing a field goal, you know, those kinds of things. And so, you know. The Bills were looked beatable last week, um, and if you look at Baltimore, you know that was an underwhelming victory as well at Tennessee. So to me, you have two teams going into the game this week that kind of underperformed last week. Yeah, I, I think they. I think the Bills more than anything did. I mean, the Ravens were on the road and 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 got down ten nothing, and right. it was impressive for them to come back and and win that game. Uh, both teams had very slow starts. If you look at the first half, look at the first half for the Buffalo Bills. In that first half, they their starting field position, their average starting field position in the first half was the ten yard line. Right. The average starting field position for the Colts was the thirty six. And they still somehow led at the half, 14-10. I don't know how that happened. I'll tell you how it happened. And it really it, it applies to both games. They're quarterbacks. Josh Allen did wonders on Saturday. I mean, to, to do what he did, 
and make negative plays into bad plays or into good plays rather. I mean, he was like loving a genie in the bottle. I mean, every time you needed a wish, every time you needed a wish, a granted. I mean, that was literally your yeah. first town granted touchdown granted. I mean, that's what you need. And, and Lamar Jackson, I mean, they find themselves down 10, nothing and third and nine. It looks like they possibly might give it up again. And Tennessee's going to go up by three scores. Bang. 55-yard touchdown, 52-yard touchdown, whatever it was uh, on the run. I mean, it was electric what Lamar Jackson did as well. So I think it comes down to, really, who has the fast start? Because neither of these teams, I don't think, are going to give up a 10-point lead. I I just don't don't see either of these teams. Ravens are really not built to come back from a 10-point lead. They play amazing defense. But the, the idea here is that Buffalo is going to have to figure something out. Because Reich figured them out. Rivers figured them out. I mean, they carved them up in the second half right. on offense. And so Lamar is not going to necessarily, you know, sit in the pocket and, 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 and throw to my tight end on, on third down every time. You know, he's going to take off. And that's something that the Bills did not do well. I mean, the Bills have not been very good against the run this year at all. So that factors into this. A lot of people talk about Josh Allen. Maybe the team of destiny is the Bills. Uh, to me, in this game, I think this will come down to the final drive. I really do. These teams are so well managed, so well coached. Um, how hyped they're going to be in Buffalo with 7,000 fans. I mean, it, it's going to be awesome to watch. To me, I think it comes down to a couple of things. Obviously, you know, special teams is going to be a, a, a factor, I think, in this game, too, with the weather and, and Justin Tucker and, and how good he is. I just think that right now, nobody wants to play the Ravens. I, I think the Ravens are really, really have something going. They found their, their mojo in the second half of the season. Um, as good as Buffalo is, they haven't, they, they, it seemed like the playoff nerviness kind of got to them. And Phillip Rivers kind of got to them a little bit last week. They can't have that start against Baltimore. Baltimore will Baltimore will kill them and chew them and spit them out uh, and, and just run the ball down their throat and do what they please. They can't have that start. I think this game is super close, but I think the Ravens win. I think the Ravens go on the road and I think they beat Buffalo this weekend. You know what just you know what just struck me what you said what's going to be awesome is there's going to be 7,000 people there. <laughs> like that's a huge like that's a huge NFL crowd for this year. I mean, you think about it, you know, 7,000 right. people. I mean, that is that's one of that's that's a big crowd for this year and so it's going to be it's going to be electric with 7,000 people as opposed to 70,000. Yeah. I, I as crazy as it sounds it will because if you've ever been to Buffalo and I have. And you have. I remember that. That yeah. that 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 those rows those those seats are right on the guys. I mean, you are right on. It's the closest I think you can get to 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 the to the field. I mean, it's right there, and it gets loud. It's not a big stadium, so it's very enclosed. That seven thousand may feel like you know twenty thousand. It, it really it really may feel like that. It's it's a great stadium. All right, so uh, the Cleveland Browns win their first playoff game since Bill Belichick was their head coach. Uh, and, and I don't know how much they won this as opposed to uh, Ben Roethlisberger gave them this game. Uh, that I wasn't as stunned that Cleveland won the game, okay? I mean, 10th grade bully thing aside, I wasn't as shocked necessarily that they won the game. It's the way that game went down that was the most shocking thing to me. Say whatever you want about mm-hmm. Cleveland. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I have never seen a team be that putrid in a playoff game as the Pittsburgh Steelers were. I mean, that was embarrassing. You know what I think happened with a lot of people? Uh, I think that we got so wrapped up in the uniform that the team was wearing. I mean, if the Browns and the Steelers had switched uniforms, this would have been, you know, typical. Right. Right, yeah. It would have been super typical all, all year long, really. I mean, if you think about it all year long, oh, the Browns, if, if the Steelers were the Browns, well, the Browns start 11 0, lose five of the last six. I mean, that sounds like a Browns thing to me. I mean, that's, <laughs> that just does. It just, it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, and, 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 the, and the Steelers, you know, if the Steelers were the Browns, the Browns are the Steelers, you know, oh, we're struggling to get in the playoffs. We barely sneak in. You know, that sounds right. like, you know, kind of a Steelers thing and an and, and underperforming team. 
and, and and we should have seen this coming. I mean, we really should have seen this coming. Pittsburgh, just, at the end of the season, Pittsburgh had nothing. Yeah. I mean, they, they just had nothing in the tank offensively. But yeah, they threw 500 yards down 28 nothing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I turned the game off. I turned the game off. I was yeah. like, this game's over. Four touchdowns? I'm like, oh, why am I watching this? You know, it's not, it's not going to come. They're not going to come back. And even if they made it close to the in, by 12 points, I, there was no way Pittsburgh was coming back. I'm disappointed. I'm very disappointed in Pittsburgh. But I got to give credit where credit is due. I'm done. I'm done messing around with them. They're legit. The Browns are legit. <laughs> like there's no question about it. I, I give up. I, I you win a game like that on the road in the playoffs. I give up. Can they beat Kansas City? Is the question. Well, and that's that's where I'm going with this. Is look, they're coming off. They, yeah. They're going to have all the momentum in the world, and now they're going to play a Kansas City team that has essentially had two weeks off because yeah, they played the last week of the season. But they didn't play any, you know, Patrick Mahomes sat on his butt for two weeks. Does that make a difference yep. this week? I think Kansas City last week, last year, when, when that happened to them and they got the miracle with the Patriots and the Dolphins and they had the bye, they came out and they went down 24 nothing to Houston. I think they're going to remember that. I, I think they've been bored really playing around. Like I just don't, I don't think that, it's something that I think they're just kind of coasting and waiting for the playoffs. That's what I really think about the Chiefs. And I think once this game opens, they're going to remember what happened last year and they're going to lay brick. And I, I think that this, they're going to throw the ball all over the field. Cleveland's probably going to, too. Like, I think Cleveland can get theirs. There's no question. Baker can't turn the ball over. But I just don't see how Cleveland's stopping that offense. I mean, that offense is so good. Uh, they, there's so many guys to cover. Like a great story in Cleveland, the fancy coach of the year. I just think the Chiefs, when they get to the, I think their mission was that when we get to the playoffs, we're going to turn it on in front of our fans in Kansas City. I think it's going to be a lot of points, <laughs> a lot of points scored in this game. All Chiefs, right, Chiefs are going to win. Well, and and it's the biggest number of the week in as terms of of the line goes. You think it's a you think it's a the cover? I think was it nine and a half now. Yeah, nine and a half, ten, somewhere around there. It's yeah. a big number. I'm yeah. afraid to take it, but I might, you might have to. All right, let's get to the one everybody's talking about. Jesus, it was on the Today Show this morning. And, you know, people that don't even cover sports are interested in the the History Channel matchup between uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And you look at the two games from last week, and both quarterbacks played well. And I think if you are a New Orleans Saints fan, and you're pinning your hopes this week on the Saints and Drew Brees. Uh, you know, the fact that they, you know, Alvin Kamara, you know what he can do. But I think one of the big things we saw last week was Michael Thomas is now a part of that Saints offense again. And I I think that actually, and look, and they already beat Tampa twice, so it's not like it would be a huge shock if they beat them again. But if you're Tampa, you've got to be scared to death that Michael Thomas is back and a, and a and a weapon for Drew Brees again. Absolutely. I mean, Michael Thomas is deadly with the ball in his hand. Possession. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna pick up yards at, at eight, nine, ten yards a clip. I mean, with him, right. like it's 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 scary. It's definitely scary. He's a tough matchup. Um, the Saints have kind of owned the receivers for the Bucks. I mean, they've kind of owned Mike Evans. Mike Evans has never really done well against the Saints. It's been a tough go. Um, I think with the Saints offense, obviously it's going to run through Kamara. How do how does getting Devin White back in this lineup help them? Um, I just they haven't really been able to stop them all year, and I think one of the things they're going to have to do, and they're going to have to do it is they're really going to have to get pressure on Drew Brees. I think if they can put Brees in an uncomfortable position, Brees, I think, as the year has gone on, has looked more and more aged. Uh, so I think that if they can get pressure on him, obviously you got to stop Kamara. That's the number one thing. But getting pressure on Brees with four guys is essential. I mean, they just have to have it. But the Bucks, I mean... I think that the Bucks, the one thing that the Bucks have that they hadn't had in the previous matchups, they have Antonio Brown. I knew you were good. Antonio Brown that. played his. <laughs> Antonio Brown did only he played his first game on that Sunday night when they got killed against the Saints. Right. That was his first game there. Nobody has been better on that offense than Antonio Brown with Tom Brady. I mean, nobody. He they have been awesome together the last few weeks. 
I think that's a huge factor. I, I don't know how the Saints account for him. That, I really don't. I think, I think once they go and go Evans and they can guard Godwin and even maybe they can guard Gronk, you can't guard everybody. And if they leave Antonio Brown open, he's going he's gonna to eat him up for dinner. You he and really I, will. You this and is going to be fascinating. You and I talked about this, uh, I think it was yesterday on the phone, and you know, mm-hmm. everybody talks about the fact that the Saints beat him twice and everybody says it's hard to beat somebody three times in a season. Well, it turns out it's not as hard as you think it is. Uh, the team that swept the regular season series has won 14 of the previous 22. And the last time that a team lost both games in the regular season and turned around to turn that result around was when the Giants did it against Dallas back when uh, – remember that in 2007 when the Patriots were going for that yep. perfect 19-0 and season? So it's been yep. 13 years since a team lost both games in the regular season and turned around and won it. So if the Bucks are going to win this – they're bucking history. That's that was so well said. <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. The end of that. Um, <laughs> the uh, I, I think though that if anybody's going to buck history, yeah, it's 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 big. It's big number twelve. I, I just I don't I don't see him. I think sometimes quarterbacks can will their teams to win, and I just I can't see them losing to this team. I mean, he wants them. He wants them so bad, and and he has been playing his best football right now. Of course, it was in December and January, and I don't see them stopping. I think this might be one of those Tom Brady Thanos scams that he just goes crazy. Uh, there's going to be a lot of points in this game too, I think. But I think I think at the end of the day, Tom Brady wills this game, uh, bends it to his will, if you will, wow. and. Uh, and the Bucks win. I I really think that, and we get and we get Brady Rodgers in the NFC title game. So a, I mean, a, pair of tw- a pair of twelves in the NFC title game. That'll be fun. Uh, oh, that will be must watch. That will be must watch TV. You know, think about this. And I hadn't thought about this. I heard this. I don't remember where I heard this, but think about this. In the NFC, the quarterbacks are all old men, with the exception of Jared Goff. Okay, Jared Goff is 26, but then you got Rodgers who's 37, Brady's 43, Breeze is 42. Do you realize that every quarterback playing in these games this weekend in the AFC is younger than Jared Goff? Yeah. All the quarterbacks, none of them, none all of the them, quarterbacks in the AFC yeah. are all kids. I think the oldest one is 25 years old. They're all kids and you got all the old men in the NFC. So it's it's kind of Baker gonna... B- Baker Mayfield is the oldest guy in the AFC. He's the oldest one? Wow. And yeah. He's the oldest one, and, and none of them have been drafted before 2017. But if you look at the quarterbacks in the NFC, every single one of them has been in the Super Bowl. I mean, every yeah, single that's one true. of them. Yeah, right. So, so, so you, got, you, you look at that and you say, wow, this is really the conference of youth versus the conference of experience. I'm very excited. Well, you can hear uh, Dan and his boys on the Sunday card. They'll be recording that later on today. We'll have it on Sports Country Radio on Saturday at 11 a.m., uh, it is on at three and five in the afternoon, so you'll be able to find out if they are. If you listen to it at five o'clock, you'll be able to find out if they were already wrong, uh, because the the first game will be underway on Saturday, and then we'll have it again uh, on Sunday morning at eleven a.m. Dan, enjoy the games this weekend, and uh, we will look forward to talking to you next week. Can't wait, Gene. One more week, and it is the battle for who gets to play in the Super Bowl in Tampa. It's the greatest time of year. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Keith Urban. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.